how beautiful is the sight of the death of your saints, O oh God. Those whom you've empowered and you've strengthened and you've led and you've encouraged. We thank you, God. We thank you that we get to enjoy you. And that, Lord, that you would remove from our minds, remove from our hearts this thought that Christianity is do, 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 and don't, don't, don't. And, but, Lord, that you would revive a spirit of knowing that Christ is his own happy ending. That Jesus is his own reward. That the reward for following Jesus is Jesus and that Dot would know this, and that we would celebrate the fact that Dot does know this. And so, Lord, for those of us who are still on the journey and who are going to be at death's door soon, because all of us will come to an end here on earth, Lord, would you remind us that Jesus is better He's better than our worries and our concerns. He's better than our sins and our temptations. Jesus is better. He's better than our anxieties and our illnesses. Jesus is bigger and stronger. He's bigger and stronger than our sicknesses and our woes and our heartache here on earth. Jesus is better. Would you remind us that today? And would you remind us as we go and see the death and celebrate the life of your servant, Lord. That we would do it, Lord, with great joy and reflection upon Christ. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen and amen. I am grateful that you're here. Today we're starting a brand new series. And the series is called Untangled. Many of us have found ourselves in positions over and over again, stuck and unable to move. We've found ourselves sinning again and again and again and again with no real way out. We wonder if there will ever be any victory at all. In fact, some of you, you're here for the first time. You used to come to church, but then you got entangled, and you didn't know how to get untangled. And so you just didn't want to confront God. You didn't want to see God for who he was. You didn't want him to convict you of your sin. And so you, you left. And it's been years, and it's been pain, and it's been suffering, and now you're back, and we're grateful. And we're so grateful that you came here. So throughout this series, we're going to discover how it is to avoid temptation, how it is to stay away from those things that entangle us, how it is that we can find freedom from those very things that choose to keep us in bondage. We're going to discover that this series. It's going to be four or five weeks. I'm not sure. In this series, what I was going to do is I was going to talk about sin and weakness and, and, and creating boundaries for yourself. And then at the very end, at the end of the series, I was going to plug in a sermon. 
And the sermon was going to be, well, what do you do now that you've blown it? Right? Because the whole series is going to be about avoiding sin. It's going to be about, but I realized that as I was developing the series, I realized that some of you would be sitting there going, oh, it's too late. Some of you young people would have said, I just, I, it's too late. I've already lost my virginity. Some of you older people would say, it's too late. I've already blown up my marriage. Some of you other people would have said, it's too late. I've already ruined my health. It's too late. And so today, we're going we're gonna to start our series in a unique way. We're going to start with the end in mind. I'm going to put that one first. Next week, we'll be working on how to avoid sin, how to avoid temptation, and that's going to carry on. You don't want to miss next week. We're going to find out the very, the very plan that Satan uses. The same, you know that Satan uses the same template over and over? That Satan, listen to me, Satan is not creative. He's simply consistent. And that he will come to at you with the exact same. Do you know that we're going to discover that next week? Do you know that the week after that we're going to be talking about how to overcome temptation when it comes at our weakest points? Oh man, you don't want to miss this series. You don't want to miss this series. Those of you who are struggling with staying clean, you don't want to miss this series. Those of you who haven't sinned in 50 years, you don't want to miss this series. Those of you who find yourself somewhere in between, somewhere in between, you don't want to miss this series. This is going to be a powerful series. We're going, to look, we're going to look at a hero, a hero, a person that we look up to in the faith. He's one of the heavy hitters of the Old Testament. And this heavy hitter, who would, who would have a legacy that would go on for thousands of years, that you and I would know about him, even though we, were never, we have never stepped a foot in his country, we were never under his leadership. We but we remember this guy. A guy that God used powerfully. He was a warrior poet who had great passion and devotion for Christ, but passion for other things as well. And that led him to, led him to his weakness and great devastation. This godly, godly man slept with his best friend's wife. And then when she got pregnant, had him carry his own death warrant, the very paper that said he would be killed. And that best friend handed it over to his commanding officer. That commanding officer put David's best friend on the front of the line along with other men who were fighting for David. And and he died, protecting a king who had him murdered, his best friend. This, this David, who would have kept it all under wraps and kept it a secret and don't tell a soul because he was too concerned with his own reputation. This David, who looked like the hero by taking his best friend's wife into his care. Look at how great he is. He's caring for his best friend's wife, providing for her, taking her into his home. And look, at, it couldn't be at a perfect time because she's carrying Uriah's baby. 
they would say. And David said, yep, that's me. I'm the good guy. See, David, in a time when he should have been off and fighting for his kingdom, was not only not fighting for his kingdom, he wasn't even fighting temptation. And he looked and he peered over his castle and he saw this beautiful woman. And he said, I got to have her. And they said, he's your best friend's wife. He said, I got to have her. But she, she wants to be faithful to her husband. I got to have her. Sometimes we think it's just you and I. I got to have it. I got to have her. I got to have them. I got to have it. I got to have that. But God knows that every one of us, me first, believe me when I tell you. Some of you think I'm being humble when I say things like that. I'm not. I know how wicked I am. God knows that every one of us, even the most wicked one of us, the ones who think that there's no hope for us, God knows that there are going to be times where we look out on the pier of our castle, the life that we've made for ourselves, see that which we must have, and say, I'm going to have it. And there's nothing that's going to stop me. And God says, I want to show you a story. Now, in the Bible, you'll find scriptures that are prescriptive and scriptures that are descriptive. Somebody say prescriptive. Prescriptive means it's, it's like commands. It's like a prescription. You know, take two of these every morning. That's a prescription. It is like a command. It is something that you must do. That is prescription. When God says in his word, flee youthful lust, that's not a suggestion. He's giving a prescription. You all, oh, but I'm struggling with lust. Yeah, here's an idea. Put your Nikes on. <laughs> flee youthful lust. It's a prescription. But and then there are other places in the Bible that are not prescriptions. They are descriptions. They are just accounts of what happened in the life, and there are principles that we could understand and we could see in the lives of others. And we could even learn from their experience if God gives us the wisdom to do so. But before we read, and this one, by the way, is a descriptive one. There'll be no commands here. We just see examples. There are other commands in other places in the Bible about sin and temptation and what to do after you've blown it. But that's the question we're going to be answering today. What do you do when you've blown it? What do you do when you've crossed the line? What do you do when you can't say, I won't do it anymore, when you've done it already? What, what on earth do you do? God left the story of one of the heroes of the faith to let you know because he knows that you'll find yourself there. He knows that you won't know what to do. He knows. He knows that the number one default that you will have after you sin is to run from God. The number one thing that you will want to do, you'll, you'll, you know what? We have language to protect our hearts from God. 
When we're actively sinning, we say things like, well, I don't want to be a hypocrite. On your best day, you're a hypocrite. On the, on the, on, you on spiritual steroids are the biggest hypocrite you know. Listen to me. We give our hearts, we anesthetize our hearts from our desperate need of God. And so God says, I don't want you to react that way. I don't want you to turn from me. I want you to be a hypocrite in my face, not a lost child that I'm looking for. Anybody would rather that in their home. Imagine my daughter calling me up. She's 15. Going, by, you know, I'm, I'm sleeping around with guys and I'm smoking crack and I'm doing a mess of things. Could you imagine her going, you know, I'm living... You know, I'm, I'm living in, in L.A. now, you know, in this place called Compton, and I'm just living there and just kind of doing that thing. I go, no, 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 no. You be a hypocrite at home. Come home, sweetie. Come home. Come home. And listen, and that's God's cry to you today. Come home. You say, you've been hiding too long. Adam and Eve, um, God's the first question God asks is, Adam, where are you? But that's next week's sermon. You come to that one. And he answers it. Dave, King David, finds himself. Now, before we go to read this story, I want you to know that it's shocking. Someone say shocking. shocking. Someone say disturbing. disturbing. It's disturbing. Some of the consequences that David goes through are going to offend you and me. Someone say offend. offend. It's going to hurt us. We're going to see this. And we're going we're gonna to jump to the wrong conclusions unless we read carefully. So I want you to know that it's going to happen. Secondly, I want you to know I don't have the answers for all this text. I've been wrestling with this text. I stood up till midnight trying to figure out, last night, past midnight, trying to figure out how I would explain this to you. And I still didn't know how. I'm still not sure. So I want you to read this. But I want you to read this with an idea that the Bible is not about you. The Bible is about Jesus. The Bible is about God. It's not about you. And so we're going to read it with those kinds of lenses. One of the things that we do when we read the Bible in this church is a tradition of ours is that we stand. We stand because God's word is holy and it's, it's wonderful. But I want you to brace yourself because we're going to be in big boy water today. I'll read verses 13 through 19. And then you read verses 20 to the end of the passage, 25. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. But, because by doing this you have shown utter contempt for the Lord, the son born to you will die. After Nathan had gone home, the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife had borne to David, and he became ill. David pleaded with God for the child. He fasted and spent the nights lying in sackcloth on the ground. The elders of his household stood beside him to get him up from the ground, but he refused, and he would not eat any food with them. On the seventh day, the child died. 
David's attendants were afraid to tell him that the child was dead, for they thought, while the child was still living, he wouldn't listen to us when we spoke to him. How can we now tell him that the child is dead? We may do, he may do something desperate. David noticed that his attendants were whispering among themselves, and he realized that the child was dead. Is the child dead? He asked. Yes, he, they replied. He is dead. Then David got up from the ground. After he had washed and put on lotions, he washed his clothes. He went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. Then he went to his own house. At his request, they served him food and he ate. His attendants asked him, Why are you acting this way? He sent word through Nathan the prophet to name him Jedidah. This is God's word. Please have a seat. So, say, so David has sinned. He has, he has betrayed his best friend. He's had him murdered. He impregnated his wife. And he's keeping it a secret. Just before this verse, in chapter 11, a prophet at the risk of his own life, gets in front of David and tells him a story, a story that is a marvel. Something that we should spend time on some other time. We don't have time to get into it right now. He tells him a story about a guy who had thousands of sheep, just a rich guy, had tons of sheep, and then when he was hungry and had guests over, he took the one sheep of the guy, of his next door neighbor, and David was furious about the story. And he said, what should we do with this rich guy who stole this poor man's sheep? David goes, kill him. He, he doesn't deserve to live. And then Nathan, with I think not a little fear, said, you are that man. You're the one who stole the sheep. You had, you had all the women that you could possibly have. You had wives and concubines. You could have had any woman in the world. You. It's you. And David sees himself in a way that he hadn't seen himself in a long time. You ever had, a, you ever had that moment? In some 12-step circles, they call it the moment of clarity. <laughs> It is the moment where you see clearly the destruction that you've caused. There, where there are no more excuses. It is a gift, that moment. And blessed is the man who has a friend who will be able to say, you are the man. It's at this point that we find David. And so David is responding to Nathan's statement, you are the man. Now, listen to me. 
Today, what we're going to be talking about is consequences of sin. Do you understand that there are going to become some consequences when you sin? Oh my goodness, if you don't know this, you're hurt. You're hurt already. You're wounded already. There are consequences to our sins that no one can stop. There are things that we do that have consequences. We are not speaking towards the consequences. And if you've let a fear of consequences, if you let a fear of consequences prevent you from pursuing God, then what you're going to find is a spiritual bankruptcy like you can't imagine. Or perhaps you can. Maybe you're there right now. David responds. And he says, now, today, I'm just going to kind of go through this quickly, and then I'm going to highlight some things, and we're going to go into communion. David said to Nathan, oh, I forgot to say this. The, the way I got this passage was um, we have leadership meetings at our um, church. They're called Leaders in Action, LIA meetings. And uh, one of the leaders who was going to bring the, 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 um, the devotional that evening was uh, our worship leader, Sam. And so he wasn't able to come because his friend, his father had died, and he wanted to be with them, but he, he sent me this over on an email. And so I want you to know, I don't think these things up by myself. I have great people around me who have better ideas than me. And so we thank God for Sam, and thank God for God using him and how he had his study. Then David said to Nathan, I sinned against the Lord. See, David's response to Nathan is profound. And it isn't until we get this point, you will miss all of coming back to the Lord. You'll miss all of what it means to come back to God after. If you don't, listen, if you don't understand this sentence, you will never have a happy, joyous, free life in the Lord. In this little sentence is the source of pure joy, happiness, and even being able to overcome your greatest temptation. I'm talking about the pornography habit that you swear you've, you know, that you've had since you were five years old and that you can't possibly be free from. I'm talking about the eating disorder that you can't seem to be broken free out of. I'm talking about the pride that you walk in and the self-righteousness that you carry around that you don't even see. If you don't understand this sentence, you've missed the train. I have sinned against the Lord. We're going to come back to that sentence. But I want you to see the rest. Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. Let's say that together. The Lord has taken away your sin. Stop. Listen to me. David didn't have to try to be good in order to make it back to church. David didn't have to clean up his act. David didn't have to erase his hard drive or clean his refrigerator or have a few days clean before he could come back to God. It was the Lord who removed it. It was the Lord. The first thing you need to know that when you and I fall into sin, and for those of you who take this message, and today's message is aimed squarely at the devotees of Christ, it is so easy to take today's message and manipulate it, but that's what manipulators do, don't they? And to manipulate it to say, well, God will forgive me, well, it'll be all right. I can't imagine having a wife like that. 
I can't imagine having a wife who will say, well, Edwin will forgive me. Let me just be with this other dude. Could you imagine? No, but could you imagine? You, would, you wouldn't call that love. Would you call that love? Would you be able to say, oh, this woman loves his, this, this wife loves her husband. You wouldn't be able to say that. You would say there was something other than love going on here. This looks like hate. So some of you will be tempted to take this message and co-sign your garbage to which I say you are demonically possessed. You need to run to Jesus and you need to repent of your evil sin. Don't do that. Don't use today's message as a defense against Jesus. Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. You're not going to die. Isn't that incredible? God has done it all. You blew it. Now, here's a second. I, I, I got a question for you. Let's just take a second, step back. That's a breathtaking response from Nathan. Nathan is a prophet. He is literally speaking the words of God. To hear it from Nathan's lips is to hear it from God himself. That's why we don't go, well, we're a red-letter Bible, you know, just the words of Jesus, because none of the words in the Bible are any more or less authoritative than the others. It's Scripture. This is God's Word, every bit of it, every dot, every tittle, every comma, every quotation mark. This is God's Word. And so Nathan is speaking for God, and David is crushed by his own sin. He says, God's going to take your sin from you. Now, what this means is that simply, not that your consequence is going to go, as we're going to find out in a second, but God's not going to hold it against you. You won't have that hovering over your head anymore. I won't bring it up again. When God says, I'll throw your sins into the sea of forgetfulness, it doesn't mean that God forgets because then it would be one thing God didn't know. And God knows all things. When God says he'll throw your sins into the sea of forgetfulness, which he says in Isaiah, not this passage, but in Isaiah, when God says that, he says, I'll never bring it up again. I'll never bring it up again. You'll you'll go to heaven. And you'll be with the Lord and you say, Lord, do you remember that time where I relapsed? And he'll go, man, I don't even know what you're talking about. Let's talk about better things. Lord, do you remember when I said that to my wife? He goes, what are you talking about? Let's keep him. Isn't this a beautiful day today? He will never bring it up. Some of you just need to hear that. I wish I could convince you of that. You live under a cloud of condemnation. Even your coming to Christ is under the power of shame. I wish I could remove that from you. The Lord has taken it. You're not going to die. Now what's going to happen next is going to be breathtaking. And we can't, and we can't excuse God. God. This is clear. This is God's scripture. We can't manipulate God's word. So we're just going to take it for the words that are there. But, somebody say but. But. However. Well, you could have said that, but thank you, but not really. Thank you. I love that. I love that. You're tracking with me. I love that. I need the encouragement. It's not easy being up here, so a little encouragement is nice. But because by doing this, you have shown 
utter, total contempt for the Lord. The son born to you will die. At which point you and I say, oh man, that's a terrible consequence of David's sin. But it gets worse. After Nathan had gone home, the Lord struck the child. The Lord struck the child at Uriah's wife. Notice that it doesn't call her by her name. Notice that it doesn't call her David's wife. It's Uriah's wife. Uriah's wife had born to David. He became ill. David pleaded with God for the child. He fasted and spent the night lying in sackcloth on the ground. The elders of the household stood beside him to get him up from the ground, but he refused. And he would not eat any food with them. Listen to me. What happens in the next paragraph is that the child actually dies. Does that disturb you like it disturbed me all week? It disturbs me. Now, if you have no reverence for God, if you, if you know nothing of God, if you don't want to have a relationship with God, this is the place where you check out. This is the place where you go, well, if that's what God's like, then I don't want to have nothing to do with him. I understand. See, God made us in his image, and we've been trying to return the favor ever since. We want to make God like us. And the fact is we want God to conform to our desires, our standards. Many of us think that we are more moral than God. And so when we see God, this is, there's no way to, there's absolutely no way to come around this. The Lord struck the child. Why did the Lord strike the child? The, isn't that the question on your mind? It's a question on mine. Listen to me. I'm going to give you the answer. Here's, you want to know the answer? It's coming. Listen in. I don't know. I don't know. Did you know? Did you know that this wouldn't even be the only child that David has that this happens to? There would be another child. I'm going to tell you his story. It was crazy. There would be another child that David has at this age. Some of you think that this only happened once. Happened twice to David. There was another child who died as well. David, as he sinned against the Lord, what he wanted was to be in control of his life. In chapter 7, in chapter 7 of this very book, God leans into David and he says this He says, David, the Savior of the world is going to come through you. The Messiah is going to come through your loins. I'm going to save the whole broken world through you. And David took that information and decided to have kids. He thought he was above what God would have for him. He thought he could do beyond the perimeters. And then he lost the thing that he loved the most. I'm not sure why God allowed this to happen, but I want us to feel it. Because listen, if we can't wrestle with this, 
in David's life, how on earth are we going to wrestle with it in ours? Because I guarantee you, stuff like this that you don't understand, stuff that happens in your life that you go, God, why did you allow this to happen? Stuff that happens in our lives, how are we going to wrestle with that stuff if we don't dare wrestle with it in David's life? So let's wrestle with it, shall we? David, David had manipulated the entire event. He had orchestrated and organized all of this sin. He got other accomplices involved, all to cover the sin, all to cover his reputation, all to cover his power. Here's what I know, that when we have sinned, and I'm speaking to this very principle here. When we have sinned, it's not enough that God wants us to go, oh, I'm sorry, I'm wrong. God wants to get at the very thing that we put above him. You've heard this before, right? He said, anything that you put before God, you lose. Let me ask you something. So why are you so surprised at this? Why are you so surprised at some of the idols in your life getting crushed? Anything that we put before God, we lose. And this is a demonstration of that. We're outraged at this because the baby is innocent. The baby has done nothing wrong. The baby did not deserve this penalty. It was David's sin. Not the baby's. It was David's planning, plotting, and deception, not the baby's. It was David who should have paid the penalty, not the baby. God put his hand on the very thing that David tried to protect, the very thing that David loved, the very thing that David put above God. See, God knew that from David's loins would flow the Savior of the world. In fact, that's exactly what happened. Now, a couple of objections come up when we read this. Number one, we go, is God going to pay us back for all the wrong things that we've done? Do you ever think like that? Some of us have thoughts like that. No. Jesus God paid Jesus back for all the wrongs that you and I have done. God gave Jesus the penalty that you and I deserve, which, by the way, brings us to the point today. David didn't just have one son. He had two sons. And you go, I don't see that in 2 Samuel. I don't see that in 1 Samuel. I don't see it in Kings. I don't see it in Chronicles. you got to move a little bit more to the right if you want to see it. Guys, if you would travel in your Bibles to Matthew, I want you to see something. I want you to see this. In Matthew chapter 1, it's not going to be on your screen. In Matthew chapter 1, there's, in the very first verse of Matthew says, a record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Look up at me. The next line is unbelievable. What does it say? The son of David. 
You see, this happened twice. There was two times where an innocent child died for David's sin. And the second child who died for David's sin didn't just die for David's sin. He died for your and my wretched sin. There was a son of David who came from heaven to earth and did not do the grimy things that you and I have done, who was the innocent child, who was not guilty, who did not scheme or lie, who did not do the things that you and I deserve penalty for, that that son of David, he too, he too would be condemned to death. And not just for the sins of one man, but for the sins of the whole broken world. Are you offended that David's son had to die for his sin? Be more offended that God's son had to die for you. And it is this that gives us the power to come back to God. It is this truth that allows us to walk in righteousness, knowing that our righteousness is not of our own. It's an alien righteousness bestowed upon us by Christ himself. God said, I'm not going to ask you to do anything, David, that I wouldn't do myself. And so a thousand years later, God sent his son, who wasn't seven days old, but 33, but just as innocent. More so because he was born without sin. And he would see David's sin and Sammy's sin and Edwin's sin and Johnny's sin and Melissa's sin and Sharada's sin. He would see our sin and said, this sin, it must, he said, I'm going to take it away from you. You won't die. But there's a child that's going to die. Whose son will it be? Will it be my son, oh God? He said, no. God said it'll be mine. I'll die. I'll send my son to die for your sin. That's why we can go back. That's why, listen to me. That's why. Jump down quickly because we don't have enough time. Jump down to verse 20. Then, right, uh, verse 19. He said, yes, they replied, he is dead. Then David got up from the ground. After he had watched, put on lotion, and changed his clothes, he went into the house of the Lord, and he worshipped. Because the son there was a son that died and that his sin was not counted against him. Listen to me. There was a son that died for your sin and you can therefore worship even in the midst of your mess, even in the brokenness of your life, even in the middle of your sin, even in the hell that you've created for yourself, even with your self-inflicted wounds. There is a son that died so that you and I could walk in righteousness. No sin known to us because Christ you go, I can't, I can't read the Bible. I just feel too guilty. You don't know the cross. You go, I, I can't go to church. I've messed up too bad. Learn the gospel. It's the gospel. Listen, the, you, you and I cannot do this on our own. It is why the son had to die. And so 
We find ourselves in our sins and we rent our clothes and we say, I am undone by this wickedness. And God says, yes. And then Satan comes in and goes, you're going to go to church? You're going to congregate with the believers? You're going to worship God after what you have done? And God says, get up off that floor and worship. Because there's a son. There's a son who stood on the floor and went into the grave. There's a son. Listen, you and I don't turn to God. We don't. We sin and we run from God. But listen to me. You can do what David did because you got what David got. You got the forgiveness of the king of the universe and you got David's son's death to pay for the penalty of your sin. So you go, is this going to happen to me? No, no, no. See, remember what I told you at the beginning? The Bible isn't about you. The Bible is about Jesus. This is an image, a picture of what would happen thousands of years later for you and me. Only it wouldn't be the, de- the death of a baby of just any normal child. It would be the death of the Son of God who came to earth to live and to die. Are you too good for that? Is your sin too wicked for that? Can you not rest in the truth of that? Listen, those of you who are stuck in your sin, you're sinning and you you don't even want to acknowledge it as sin. Get up! Get up and worship. Those of you who are caught in the middle of your addiction, listen to me, get up! And worship. Because there was one who died so that you could get up. One who went into the ground so you could raise your hands to the heavens. We come not because of our own righteousness, our own, whenever Satan accuses you of something, you go, you tell Satan it was worse than that. Whenever Satan says, oh, you're going to do that after you're going to read your Bible, after you did that, after you said that, after you acted that way, tell Satan it's worse than what he just accused you of. And that Jesus, oh, Jesus has paid... Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. He paid it all. He did it all. And he did it for you. You believe that? He did it for you. He did it for you. So listen, this week, as you walk throughout the street and you think of your sin, there's two things I want you to do. There's two things. One, I want you to do like David. Remember I said the most important line here is, listen, he goes, I have sinned against the Lord. Notice he didn't say Bathsheba. Notice he didn't say Joab, who he's, I didn't tell you that part of the story, but notice he didn't say Uriah or any other of the players. He said, I have sinned against the Lord. Our problem is, is that when we go to God, we confess for the leaves and not the root. We say, God, I, I eat too much. Or God, I sex too much. Or God, I watch these other things. Or God, I, 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 I do sex outside of your preordained way of doing. God, God, I lied. God, I cheated. What you don't understand is that is the fruit of your sin, not the root. 
The root is that I sinned against the Lord. Here's the truth about me. Every time, every time I feel stress and I go to the store to pick up a beer, what I'm saying, here's the truth about me. I can't just say, God, I did it again. I drank. I realized this. Oh, I messed up. That's not it. I need to go to God and tell him the truth. The truth is, God, I trust Michelob more than I trust you. I trust Budweiser more than I trust. I trust Budweiser's ability to soothe my pain more than I trust yours. When I go and I click on those things, what I need to go is go, God, here's the truth about me. I look to screens for more pleasure than I look to the Savior. We got to get to the truth. It's against you and you alone have I sinned to God. Not just this thing that I've done, but this is the reality. This is the truth about me. I have sinned against the Lord. It's not that I paid, I bought this shirt and I couldn't afford it because I was feeling stressed. It's that I believe that Marshalls will relieve my anxieties more than Jesus. Do you see? Do you see how profound sin is? When you hate yourself, you saying to Jesus, Jesus, here's the truth about me. My opinion of me is more important than your opinion of me. When you call yourself a sinner and a loser and, a, and, and all those things, what you're saying is, God, I'm better than you. I'm the judge. I know more than you do. You see, the sin is that I sinned against the Lord. And until we get that, we won't. Until we get that, we won't ever be free. So there's two things David does. First thing he does is confess the reality of the situation. Not that I slept with him, but that I looked to pleasure from him rather than Christ. That I looked to approval from her rather than finding my identity in Jesus. I wish we could do this for longer. And it is with great joy today that we turn to communion. Because it was his blood. Every time we do communion, we're reminded that a child died for our sins. That there was one who was born for our sins. So what do I want you to do today? Listen to me. This week, what I want you to do is I just want you to confess to God the truth. Lord, I've sinned against you. What is it? Well, the truth is about me is that the reason that I behave the way I do, the reason that I did that is because I'm looking for salvation in something other than you. The reason why I starve myself so that I could look, it's not so I could look good on the beach, it's so that I could get the approval of others because I don't have the approval of you. Because I've made an idol of my body. The reason, the reason why I overeat is, thank you. The reason that, the reason why I overeat is not because, oh, I just like this and I just like to eat that or it's the way I've always done. It's because I want to, I want to alleviate stress. I want to give myself a pleasure outside of Jesus. The reason I'm running to all these other things is because I'm looking for in them salvation that's only found in Jesus. You can't do it, brothers and sisters, but he's done it for you. You believe that? He's done it for you. He's done it for you. So now, 
as we do in every moment of communion. We're going to confess the first thing that we're, do, we're to do, the first thing that David did. I have sinned against the Lord. And I want you to go to God. Hey, God, the reason that I lied is not, oh, God, forgive me for my lying. No, 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 no. Don't stay with the leaves. Say, God, here's the reason why I lied. Because I was more concerned with my reputation than yours. That's the kind of confession that we're going to bring to God right now. Tell him the root. Don't just tell him, oh, I lied, I cheated, I stole, I used, I acted out, I ate, I didn't eat, whatever it was. Don't do that. Go to the root. Ask the Holy Spirit. The, uh, Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24 says, Search me, O Lord, and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So I'm going to give you a moment. I'm going to give you a moment with Jesus. Those of you who don't know Jesus, listen, here's the good news. The good news is that you're worse than you think and you're more loved by Jesus than you can imagine. And so you can go to him. He died for your sins. And the same way you go to him at the beginning of your walk with him is the same way you remain. If you're with Jesus for 50 years, you keep on going back to the gospel, the one who died for us, for our sins. I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that now. Tell Jesus, God, it's not that I lied. It's that I was protecting my reputation. I thought my reputation was more important than, what, than yours. Whatever your sin is, confess it to the Lord. God, that, that my righteous anger or that my anger was more righteous than yours, that's the truth about me, God. Lord, I don't have an anger problem. I don't have a, a lust problem. I don't have an alcohol problem. I have a worship problem. I have a worship problem. I worship other things to give me the salvation that only you can give. Only you can unburden the stress. Only you could provide the finances. Only you can relieve the pain. Oh, Lord, may we be a people who are known as people who rest in the gospel of Jesus Christ. <sighs>